Happy Wednesday, everybody. This is Get Your Goat, your host, Josh here, and today I have a show I'm absolutely pumped about getting into some college football and the coaches poll that was just released, the Seahawks dominating the news of the NFL. More preseason football starts tomorrow. I'm going to give you my top five offenses that I believe will be standing there at in the top five this coming year, the 2021-2022 NFL season. Luka signing his rookie Supermax deal. What went wrong for Dennis Schroeder? Bryce Harper for VNL, MVP, and more. So let's get started with the college football coaches poll. Now this poll, uh, preseason poll, is voted on by coaches and coaches only uh, who they think are the best teams and they rank them in that order. So top five is five Georgia. Four, Ohio State. Three, Oklahoma. Two, Clemson. One, Alabama. So that is something that we are all familiar with in the college football landscape. The past five years are being the same. But if I had to pick, I wouldn't pick. I would, if I had to pick, there's probably one I would really like, but I think it's actually going to be someone out of this top five that's going to win it this year. I really do think it's going to be a sleeper. Of course, I'm a Michigan fan, a little delirious Michigan fan. They're not even in the top 25 uh, for this poll, so likely when the AP poll comes out, they have a lot of work to do uh, to get up and get respect. But I really do think it's going to be a team outside of this top five. When I look at Alabama, they lost their offensive coordinator, Steve Sarkeesian lost Heisman Trophy winner Devontae Smith and other uh, trophy or winners for, you know, Mac Davey, the best quarterback, and other wide receiver awards. They lost, as I said, Devontae Smith, but they lost Mac Jones, Najee Harris, and Jalen Waddell. They lost a lot of offensive talent, as I said, the offensive coordinator as well. So they lost a lot. Yes, they got Bill O'Brien to replace him, which I think is great. But there's a lot of uncertainty here, and the SEC is a great conference, as I said. Uh, Georgia's in the top five. You know, Texas A&M is right behind them. Florida. So we'll see. I just think it's a difficult pass uh, path with this young team. Clemson, I think, is going to be weaker. You know, Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne. This offense will look different. Oklahoma is the one team I like. Because they have Spencer Radler at quarterback, who is one of the best quarterbacks in college football. He is the one that I think they have the best quarterback out of the top five. If they were to get something done, they can do it, have an easier schedule as well to make things work. Ohio State is different as well. No Justin Fields. Uh, Their defense got retooled, so that hurts. Uh, Georgia, to me, I'm never a fan of Georgia winning it because to me they're just a team that kind of always you know rips the Georgia fans hard out they choke and that's kind of what they do and again they play the SEC and teams like Alabama so I don't like you know favoring you know both teams in their conference 
So that's why I say that. I think another outside team uh, can do it. Of course, I think Michigan, but I think LSU has a chance to come back and be really good. They've recruited well. You look at a team like Oregon or USC, you've got Penn State vying as well. So there's a lot of talent. Talent. North Carolina is doing great things there in the ACC to compete with Clemson. So I do think this is going to be a different year. Uh, not as many COVID restrictions. So fans will be in the stands, more traveling uh, that we didn't see last year. So I think all those aspects are going to be huge. And a lot of that is going to factor in to this college football scenario. But I'm looking forward to it. I would like to see my team, Michigan, win it. I'd like to see Lincoln uh, there at Oklahoma win it, Lincoln Riley. But I do think this is going to be a very competitive. And I don't think it's going to be the usual four that we see in there, the Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and Notre Dame in there. As I said, I think two of those might be in there. Uh, but I don't think they will. I think the only teams from the top five that will be in the top four at the end of the day will be Alabama and Oklahoma. I don't see Clemson being in there. Don't see Ohio State, Georgia. I think it could be a different shakeup this year, which would be very exciting for college football uh, because the playoff is near, and it is nice to see different teams in the playoff. Now shifting to the NFL. What is happening there? Well, we just talked about uh, Jamal Adams the other day and his contract situation. Well, now he has an offer on the table. Don't know what it is. Hasn't accepted it yet. So this is what I'm thinking. If it was an extension to make him the highest paid safety, I think he would have taken it. Already I do. Is he the best safety? No. He's in my top 10, but a high, I think 10 or 9 is what I ranked him. Justin Simmons is the best safety. He is paid like the best at 15 and a quarter million per year average. Jamal Adams probably wants something north of that, you know, 16 or 17 million uh, per year average. Don't think he's worth that as well. So who knows what the Seahawks offered him. If it is this record-breaking extension or not, I feel like if it was record-breaking, he would have signed it by now. So maybe if it's not, the Seahawks are playing it actually really smart and saying, hey, you don't deserve this money or you know, you're close to deserving this money because I do think he's great blitzing, stopping the run, but in coverage is when he does get exposed so maybe that's something they want to say is, hey, you have this money on the table. You could get this money as this is what they see. So again, risky play from both sides. So who knows what will happen there. I don't think Jamal Adams is the fit, though, for reasons I've just stated. I believe they should trade him for a cornerback, a good cornerback. I think a trade for Stefan Gilmore would be great. Yes, the Patriots have McCourty, but a younger safety like Jamal Adams, I think, would fit in there. You have Stephon Gilmore for the Seahawks. That'd be great. A shutdown corner. You have Quandre Diggs already as a free safety, so you really don't need a ton of money tied up to the safety. And to me, I kind of like Quandre Diggs and his 
playability a little bit more than Jamal Adams and the way he fits in to this Seattle defense. But that wasn't the only thing Seattle did. They also released defensive end Alden Smith. He was a defensive end last year for the Cowboys, who was in all 16 games, had five sacks, you know, was out of the league for around four or five years, came back and did good, uh, was very good to start his career in the 49ers, had an NFL record 33 and a half sacks over his first two seasons and 52 and a half sacks in five seasons. Was going to be a great defensive player, but I said issues uh, with his alcohol-related incidents and physical alter- altercations uh, didn't make sense. And then trying to save money, could it be for contract extensions for Jamal Adams or Dwayne Brown? Who knows, but there is a lot of baggage there. So I'm not surprised that they cut him. They're said to have a lot of depth on the defensive end with Kerry Hyder and others. That remains, to me, uh, to be seen if it does look like there is a lot of depth there or not. But we'll find out. I do think this is a smart move, a smart locker room move uh, to cut him for this defense. But a lot of moving puzzle pieces and parts over there in the Seattle camp. Then what else? In the NFL, well, Carson Wentz is trending to play week one. Who would have guessed that? Carson Wentz, who underwent foot surgeries a couple weeks ago, you know, was going to be sidelined 5 to 12 weeks. It could be indefinitely. Who knew at this point with this broken quarterback? Now, he's on pace to play week one. Who would have thought about that? August 2nd, that puts him about a six-week recovery for that, you know, he's not limping. He, everything's great right now for him. So good for him. But here's the thing. If I were the Colts, I would not start him. I would not. He's an injury-prone quarterback. He is. You know, when I think of injury-prone players in the NBA, my mind goes to Anthony Davis and every little movement that he does. Bothers his ankle, his groin, his shoulder, elbow, everything gets injured after, you know, every touch. And NBA is a less physical game than football. And when I think of injury-prone players, Carson Wentz is the number one player that I think of. Every tackle, every hit, no matter what, seems to aggravate some injury, whether it be a concussion or a foot or a thumb or a toe. It doesn't matter. Carson Wentz is going to get injured. I don't see him playing 75% of the offensive snaps this season at all. That's uh, 12, 13 games. I don't see that happening at all. I believe he'll get injured again sometime this season, and I don't wish for an injury for Carson Wentz, but just from what I've seen so far over the course of his career, since that MVP caliber 12 games that he went through in that injury since then, he has not been the same quarterback. A flip has been switched in the injury brain. Would it be good if they got him back sooner? Yes. You don't have to start him week one. I definitely err on the side of caution. 
because if you're banking on playoff uh, contending with Carson Wentz, uh, you need him to be healthy. I'd rather have you know a guaranteed eight nine wins healthy with Carson Wentz uh, than an injured season without him and Jacob Eason at the starting quarterback. But you have a good offensive line. Quinton Nelson is set to return as well, one of the best offensive linemen in football. So there's going to be a lot of things helping Carson Wentz out this running game, this defense, but still don't rush him back. It's not worth it. Then tomorrow, more preseason football will be on. Two games are on tomorrow. The Washington football team versus the New England Patriots and the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Philadelphia Eagles. What am I looking for? Well, in that first game between the football team and the Patriots, the one thing I am looking for forward actually watching is Mac Jones. Cam Newton is still the starter, but how will Mac Jones look? Great quarterback last year out of Alabama. Yes, a ton of offensive weapons that he had great scheme with Nick Saban. Now going to coach Bill Belichick, less offensive weapons. How will he fare? I don't know how he will fare, but I would like to see because Washington has a really good defense. Who knows if they'll play Chase Young and Montez Sweat and all their guys this first preseason game or how long they will put them in. But facing a good defense like the football team is going to be interesting to see how Mac Jones adjusts in his first game with the Patriots. His timing, his reads that he makes, his accuracy, the precision, the poise, the leadership back there. I'm very interested to see how Mac Jones looks in a Patriot uniform. Who knows if he'll be, you know, kind of a true successor to Tom Brady that fits well with Bill Belichick or not. But I think tomorrow there'll be quite a bit of signs that we can point to saying, hey, he made a lot of good throws. He looked good back there. Uh-oh, Bill. We don't know what you got yourself into. Then in the following game, the Steelers and Eagles. Yes, we already saw the Steelers last week play the Cowboys. Not really interested in anything from them, but I am interested in the Philadelphia Eagles. The in-state rivals, Philly, Pittsburgh, but the Eagles, Jalen Hurts, is who I want to see. Why? Well, he had a great first game last year against the Saints, upset them, and I thought, wow, this guy can do it. Then had a good game against the Cardinals, but couldn't finish it and then faltered over the final two games and was eventually pulled in a flurry of crazy moves in that final game of the season. So Jalen Hurts, I want to see how he has progressed from his rookie year to now. I think a lot can tell. Again, Pittsburgh Steelers, another good defense. How will Jalen Hurts fare? Yes, it's preseason. All the starters won't be starting. But how will Jalen Hurts look and perform in this game. I want to see how he is. Uh, will there be a lot of scrambling from him? Uh, RPOs, uh, run pass option plays. Will he take the ball out, move it around? Those are all things I want to see with Jalen Hurts and how he is adjusting 
to another year in the NFL. I think he has a talent to be a really, really good quarterback in this league. He has Devontae Smith there as well from Alabama. Will there be a connection there? All things I want to see for year two in Philly. And I think there'll be some positive or negative signs tomorrow in that preseason game. Now moving on to my top five offenses. I've graded so much in the past few weeks. I've given you top 10 quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, offensive line, defensive line, linebackers, cornerbacks, safeties, given you my top five wide receiver corps and running uh, running uh, backfields as well offensively. Well, now that I've done all that, now it is top five offenses. I'm going to give you my top five offenses who I think will be this year the most potent of offenses. And I'm only giving you top five. There's a lot of good offenses. So I'm just going to give you a couple ones that just missed the cut. The Arizona Cardinals last year had the six best offense, uh, over 6,000 yards, 384 yards per game, almost 4,000 passing, over 2,000 rushing, balanced, averaged 25 points a game. This offense was very well even when Kyler Murray was hurt and crippled the latter half of the season. They still put up points and played well. This is a team I like adding A.J. Green and other pieces, but they just missed the cut due to others that I will give you in the list. Who else? Dallas Cowboys, surprisingly, you know, they were outside uh, the top 10 in the list. They were around 13 last year in total offense. Uh, they have a great passing attack. I think it'll be better with Dak Prescott than Andy Dalton. But to me, just the inconsistency I see from Cowboys, you know, in games to me, questions them. And compared to the other offenses I want to mention, they are not in the same league. And then the Cleveland Browns, to me, this was a really tough one because on paper, to me, have one of the best rosters. But last year was around middle of the pack offensively. They have the talent that we're returning. Odell Beckham Jr., I want Baker Mayfield to take another leap. But those are if statements. If Baker Mayfield will take another leap, will he? Uh, the other teams I'm going to mention right now, you know, is Dak Prescott, they have question marks. Will Kyler Murray be healthy? Will the older team work? Those are all, you know, what ifs, ifs, question statements, or, you know, just question marks around their teams. Whereas these top five offenses I'm about to name, you know, they might have, you know, one question, but these are proven great offenses. They have been, they will be, and these are the offenses I like the most going in to this season. I trust them the most. These are the offenses I want. And if this is one of your top five teams and you have this offense, you're going to have a lot of fun watching these football teams next year. Number five is the Tennessee Titans. Why are they number five? Well, last year, they were actually number three in offense. Uh, averaged 396.4 
yards per game, which was actually tied uh, for second. They had the second tied for the second most yards. Uh, passing yards, 3,653 by Ryan Tannehill. They had the best rushing game, 2,690 yards, 168 rushing yards per game, and averaged over 30 points a game, which was top five. So this team had a great offense last year. Derrick Henry is the bulk. They had the best rushing attack. Of course, they're going to lean on Derrick Henry to do a lot of the work, which I like having a trusted running game. A.J. Brown is there, Josh Reynolds, and oh, that's right. They traded for Julio Jones, a perennial uh, pro bowler, perennial 1,000-yard receiver who is going to fit well with this balanced attack that Tennessee has. I think it'll be more balanced this year. Last year, to me, it was definitely more run and run heavy. This year, I think it'll be the perfect blend of passing in running the ball. You never know what you're going to get if you're going to have to get a dose of Derrick Henry, A.J. Brown, Julio Jones, Josh Reynolds, and the slot. This all is going to make Ryan Tannehill look very good. I've never said Ryan Tannehill is a good, great quarterback. You look at his days in Miami, he was just awful down there in Miami. He didn't have a lot of help or weapons. But nonetheless, he was awful. Looked like one of the worst quarterbacks. I didn't want him in the league. Nobody wanted him at all. Tennessee Titans took a gamble. And it worked because they have offensive weapons. They have Derrick Henry, A.J. Brown, Julio Jones. Ryan Tannehill is the perfect system quarterback. And he found his perfect system with Mike Vrabel in Tennessee with a great running game to open up play action for him, to give him a lot of time to throw the football, have open receivers down the field, make good decisions. That's what Ryan Tannehill gives you with the weapons that he has. This is why it's a top five offense. That's why it was number three last year, and I think will be top five again this year, sitting at number five because of the moves that they made. Now what about number four? I think number four are going to be the Buffalo Bills. Now, Buffalo was just tremendous last year. Uh, They really were, uh, again, as I said, they were tied for second with the Titans in terms of yards, yards per game. Had the second best passing attack, 4,620 yards, 288 yards per game. They were pass happy with Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs, and it worked with Stephon being the league leader in receptions and yards last year. Their rushing game was nothing special, but still averaged around 107 a game. Scored a ton of points in the AFC, 31 points uh, per game. One of the highest scoring offenses uh, last year. Uh, They were in the top three. Buffalo has a system that works. Now, you know, as I said, there's questions around every team. Buffalo is Will the rushing game develop? But that's just a will it develop. That's not Their success is not dependent on that because they've got Josh Allen, who they just handed out a huge contract extension to because they've got faith in him. They have Stephon Diggs, a top three wide receiver in the game, paired with Josh Allen. 
So they're going to roll this train out until it doesn't work. And you can double Stefan Diggs if you want because Josh Allen has one of the best slot receivers in Cole Beasley who has a knack for getting open. They signed Emmanuel Sanders uh, to put some pressure off of Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs. They have speedy Gabriel Davis. So again, I don't think they're concerned about the rushing game and being super balanced when they have those receivers and they've got Josh Allen at quarterback. They could really care less. And I think it'll work out. Maybe teams will be a little bit more dialed in this year on how to stop him and Josh Allen using his legs. I think that might would take Buffalo a step back. And to me, that's why they're not a number two offense. I think will be this year still top five, but sliding down uh, to number four, like the Tennessee Titans sliding in. But because I think teams will slide ahead of them as well. But there's no denying how great Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs were last year. To me, they were the second best quarterback wide receiver duo right there. That's how good they were at times. They looked number one, but they were number two. Who was number one? Well, I'm going to get to that right now in my third best offense coming into this year. And that is the Green Bay Packers. Why? Well, this team was number five last year in offense, uh, 389 yards a game, great passing attack with the best quarterback wide receiver duo in Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams uh, last year. Passing for over 4,000 yards was uh, Aaron Rodgers over 250 yards per game. Has a really great running back, too, on the verge of underrated, overrated. Where do you properly fit him? And Aaron Jones rushing for over 100 yards uh, per game. This total team rushing for over 2,000 yards. Highest scoring team last year with 31.8 points. That's how potent this offense was. So with Aaron Rodgers coming back, I don't care if they get Randall Cobb or not or more weapons, because this team is already really good. This offense is really good without a multitude of weapons. We see this every year, how good Aaron Rodgers is, how good Devontae Adams is, how good Aaron Jones is, and everybody below Devontae Adams isn't a true number two wide receiver, but they're all number three, number four guys, and they have a lot of them. They have uh, Lazard or St. Brown or Batiste, so they have... A guy slotted below them. Now they added back Randall Cobb, who I don't think is going to be a world beater by any means or vintage Randall Cobb at all. Uh, But I do think he'll help uh, Aaron Rodgers in some situations. But again, the bulk and focus is on Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams and how well these two players play together. That's what makes their offense so good. And they're going to ride it as long as they can. This could be the last year that the Packers ride it. And if so, I think they're going to go out with a bang in terms of their offensive talent and offensive style. That's why I think they're moving up a couple of slots, you know, from five to I think will be number three this year because of that dynamic duo that they have. Who is number two? Well, to me, this was the hardest one. Who's number two? Who's number one? Number two is the Tampa Bay 
Buccaneers. Why? Well, they were just outside of a top five last year. Actually, at number seven, had around 383 yards per game, 6,000 total yards, 4,000 of those being passing, uh, 4,500 actually being passing. Tom Brady with a great year. Uh, one of a few offenses, actually the only offense in the top 10 that didn't average over 100 yards rushing the ball. 94, they were, you know, very poor rushing the football, even by the great offensive line. Their focus is on Tom Brady. And that's true because Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time, the greatest football player of all time. And I think they can take a rest because they have offensive weapons galore. This offense will be better. Another year of chemistry with Tom Brady and this team. Coach Arians returning. Uh, Byron Leftwich, still their, their offensive coordinator. Uh, Tom Brady got surgery to repair his MCL. That will only help. And I said offensive weapons galore. No other team has the offensive likes of Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown, Scotty Miller at wide receiver and tight ends. O.J. Howard returning from an Achilles injury. Gronkowski, one of the best tight ends of all time, if not the best. And Cameron Bray as well, tight end. So that's, I think, seven players that I just named four wide receivers, three tight ends. Not all of them can be on the field, but that is the abundance of weapons Tom Brady and this offense has. That's why they were one of the best uh, passing teams uh, last year. That's why Tom Brady you know, threw for 40 touchdowns. And through for 4,500 yards is because he had those offensive weapons. So another year will be great. And yes, a great offensive line. They have no scrubs at running back either. I think Ronald Jones is a good one. Leonard Fournette is. Depending on the situation, we saw Leonard Fournette uh, really do some damage in the playoffs last year. Do I see this running game getting to 100 yards? Actually, no, I don't. But with Tom Brady... And the wide receivers that he has, the tight ends, it is going to be hard to stop this passing game because you can't double anybody. You can't because that'll just leave Antonio Brown or Chris Godwin or Gronk or anybody wide open. So playing single coverage on any of those guys is a death wish. And a lot of teams will be having death wishes this year signed by Tom Brady himself. But because this team is so good, this offense is so good, we saw it in the Super Bowl click. To me, they're not an offense that strikes fear into my heart every week. That's why they're not number one. But number one team on this list is the Kansas City Chiefs. This is a team that strikes fear in my heart. And why is that? Well, they could be out, looks like dead in the water, and this offense makes unbelievable play after unbelievable play. Some games that come to mind are the divisional round against the Texans where they were down 24-0. Within the next four minutes, they were up 28-0. Last year against the Chargers, it looked like they were down 17-9. Next thing you know, 75-yard uh, touchdown pass from Patrick Mahomes to Tyreek Hill. And then the two-point conversion to him as well. To me, this is just a big play Kansas City where it looks like this offense can break open for a big play every time. Last year had the best offense 
and the NFL with over 6,500 yards, 415 yards per game, the only team to eclipse the 400-yard mark in offense. 303 of those yards were passing. Passing totals at almost 5,000, but rushed for 112 yards with uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, and they averaged 29.6 points a game. So again, Patrick Mahomes, you know, Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback, but Patrick Mahomes right now might be the most talented in terms of his throwing ability, his throws on the run, uh, his no-look throws kind of the ability that he has. Tyree Kill, the fastest receiver in football, can put the Jets on anybody. Travis Kelsey, the best tight end in football as well. So Patrick Mahomes has a great system with Bruce Arians. Eric Bieniemy is still the offensive coordinator there who has this perfect marriage with this offense and makes this offense look so good. Again, the blink of an eye, this team could be down Kansas City Chiefs. But don't count them out. It looked like they were dead in the water against the Falcons last year. And somehow Patrick Mahomes and this team pulled off a win. Yes, the Falcons were a lowly team last year. But the Chiefs find a way to win. And that's because of the brilliance of Patrick Mahomes and the weapons that he has available to him. I expect another banner year from the Kansas City Chiefs in terms of their offensive ability. Patrick Mahomes with a great year another game in store to try to break records. Same with Tyreek and Travis Kelsey. This offense is going to be fun to watch like it is every single year. So those are my top five offenses in football. The Tennessee Titans, the Buffalo Bills, the Green Bay Packers, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, moving on to the NBA. Luka Doncic signed his rookie Supermax deal, which is the same as what Trey Young signed about a week ago, around $207 million for five years. Good for Luka signing this deal. I think he uh, deserves it. Averages 25-8-8 in his career. So far, is a very talented player who has, you know, to work on his defense and other abilities of his game. But Luca is a great player, rookie of the year winner, uh, supremely talented and gifted as a basketball player. So I think he deserves it. And the only thing is, I see just in terms of this Mavs team, is that they need to sign another star, or get somebody to play with Luka. He is in the Western Conference, which is very tough with the likes of LeBron and getting ousted by Kawhi twice, but you also have the Jazz and the Suns, the Blazers. So you have a lot of teams there. Chris Tess is not the number two guy, not the number two option. They need to find a player to play with Luka. Everybody else has another player. You know, the Suns have CP3 and Devin Booker. The Lakers, when they won, had AD and LeBron. The Nuggets have Jamal Murray and Nikola Jocic. So Luka needs to find a player to play with. The Mavs need 
to go out and do that. But other than that, I think Luca is worth this deal and has been great. So this begs the question, though. Luca or Trey Young? And I bring this up because if you remember the 2018 draft class, DeAndre Eaton went one and others went two and three, or it went at two. But there was a trade between the Mavs and the Hawks where they basically traded Luca and Trey Young. Uh, Trey Young was supposed to go to the Mavs, Luca to the Hawks, but of the trade that happened. So the question is who would you want on your team? to build around your franchise, to be your team? Would you want Luka or Trey Young? My answer is I would want Luka over Trey Young. And here's the thing. When you think of these names, when you say, talking about the NBA to anybody, you say, I want Luka. You already know who you're talking about. You're talking about Luka Doncic. You're talking about the great Luka that he is. However, when you say, I want Trey, you have to say, what? You have to say Trey Young. You have to say his full name. There's more respect on the name of Luka Doncic, or as I just say, just Luka. That's how great he is. And when you look at the numbers, are actually pretty similar. Luka Doncic averages around 25, 26 points. Trey Young, 24. So you could say Doncic is a little better there in terms of rebounding. Ability, Luca averages around eight. Trey four assists. Trey's almost at a double double with nine assists in his career last year. He almost had ten assists and averaged a double double. So he's around twenty four and nine, uh, whereas Luca is around eight assists. So he's almost a triple double guy. He averages triple doubles where Luca. Our Trey averages double doubles, whereas Luca averages triple doubles with a close to record of 26, 8, and 8. So he affects the game more offensively than Trey does. He'll get rebounding, he'll facilitate, and he'll score as well. Now, when you take a look at free throw shooting, this to me is the biggest difference, and that's Trey Young being 86% from his career on the line, which, you know, I would say is pretty good. He's a point guard for the team. Luka, however, is 73%. That's pretty terrible for a shooter like Luka or a facilitator like Luka to shoot 73% to air ball from the three-point line in the playoffs in big games is embarrassing. That's not something I want. That's something that he needs to focus on. And should focus on. What about the three-point shooting ability? Luca's at 33% and Trey's at 34%. So it, it's pretty similar. I might have more fear when Trey Young is shooting the three because he has a better range and deeper range than Luca, but they're both not excellent three-point shooters. What about regular field goal percentage? Luca is around 46%. Trey's at 43%. So Luca has more tools in the tool shed. To me, he has a better mid-range game. He can get to the rim because he's bigger than Trey Young. Trey Young has an automatic floater ability, but that's it. He has difficulty for his shots and his accuracy only sitting there at 43%. Uh, percent. 
Trey Young's just made one All Star game, uh, whereas Luca is a back to back All Star. Was All NBA as well, Rookie of the Year. So Luca is already more accomplished in his time in the league. He's a little better as well, I believe, and affects the game overall. To me, both of these players, terrible defense. They don't play defense. Uh, Luca doesn't play defense. Trey doesn't play defense. That's the other knack on them. So since both of them can't play defense, I'm really only looking at offensive ability. So does a super max to me uh, mean just offense? Well, that's no. But if I had to give one out to over Luca or Trey, I would definitely uh, pick Luka Doncic. And to me, he's more of a proven leader team too. He's feisty. He gets fired up. Uh, more, and I just like his style of play a little bit more than Trey Young. That's why I pick Luca. What about you? Who would you rather have to build your team around, Luca or Trey Young? Then in sad NBA news, well, it's sad, yet it's comical, and that is Dennis Schroeder signing a one, or my bad, a one-year deal that's worth five. Point nine million with the Celtics, and it's sad, but it's comical because he signed this one-year five point nine million dollar deal with the Celtics, but he declined this past season during the season with the Los Angeles Lakers. He declined a four-year eighty-four million dollar deal with the Lakers, all guaranteed money. So he basically gave up seventy-eight million. Imagine making a gamble on yourself and losing $78 million. Well, if you ever wake up and feel that way, just know that Dennis Schroeder feels that way. And he is feels that way. So whenever you lose $78 million, I can say you and Dennis Schroeder have something uh, in common. You know, to me, was decent in the regular season. You know, 15 points a game, 6 assists. You know, was a 6 man, wasn't a great starter. And the point guard had some issues with his health, you know, that missed, you know, the last 11 days in a regular season. Returned against the Phoenix Suns and played himself out of a contract that he wanted. He wanted like a 4-year, $120 million deal or a 5-year, $100 million deal. And he averaged only 14 points in the playoffs. Shot 40% from a field, 30% from a three. Uh, didn't play defense, got exposed. Hustle wasn't there, was just terrible. And played himself out of $78 million. And so now to settle on that is sad, but it's comical. But sometimes it is nice to take the safe, guaranteed money than to lose that much like Dennis Schroeder did. Lakers weren't given a contract because they traded for Russ. Made some signings as well. So sorry, Russ. Other news I just want to mention is because my brother, who's not on the podcast but has been on before, is a big Cade Cunningham fan who got uh, selected by the Pistons. He was talking about Cade Cunningham dropping 50 last night, you know, not missing a shot. Well, guess what? Cade Cunningham played great, played really good, but... The second pick that I liked better, and I liked the field over Cade Cunningham to win uh, Rookie of the Year, uh, Jalen Green 
played really good as well. Got the last laugh with his team winning. So there you go, Kate Cunningham. Welcome to BNBA. Now shifting to MLB. And that is an NL MVP race. To me, Fernando Tatis had this locked up. He did, you know, the 31 home runs, the 70 RBIs. Fernando Tatis was the man, the MVP for so long. But now his third stint on IL has been injured, has suffering that shoulder injury kind of all year long, has, you know, opened the way for other candidates. And no one has taken advantage of it like Bryce Harper does. One of the most electric players in baseball. Hasn't been his national self there with the uh, Phillies yet, but now is the closest we've gotten to seeing vintage Bryce Harper. Offensive war at 4, batting average 302, on-base percentage at 418, slugging percentage at 570, runs created at 80. Bryce Harper is starting to play like that $330 million man. That he is. I love Bryce Harper. I think he's a great player. Is great for the game of baseball when he's on fire because he's a young star. And I think if he continues his streak, he should win the MVP if he stays healthy. But if Fernando Tatis comes back in any way, shape, or form and plays like he's continuing to play, I think you still give it to Tatis. But Bryce Harper is making it interesting in the Phillies. As a whole, that's why there's a big game tonight between the Dodgers and the Phillies. David Price pitching for the Dodgers. Uh, Kyle Gibson pitching uh, for the Phillies. Dodgers won 5-0 last night on a rained-out game. They kind of ruined Scherzer and Trey Turner uh, and the pitcher for the Phillies. But tonight, we'll see what we get as well. Let's see if Bryce Harper can work some magic against the Dodgers, because i like to see that. Then you also have the Rays and the Red Sox tonight. The Tampa Bay Rays are still the best team in the AL East. They are five games ahead of Boston. Boston on the slide, losing to the Rays last night, have lost to the Blue Jays. To me, the Rays are now cementing themselves as the best team that the Red Sox aren't going to catch, Yankees aren't going to catch, and the Blue Jays aren't going to catch, but Boston can make it up here tomorrow night and tonight to try to get back in there, but to me, Tampa Bay is just too good and is the cream of the crop in this AL East division. Now for my final remarks, and this is regarding golf, as a golfer that I am, this weekend is the last regular season kind of tournament, you could say. Before next week starts the FedEx Cup playoffs where they have three events to kind of crown the FedEx Cup champion uh, player. But there are three kind of big names that are on the verge of not making those playoffs if they don't have a good Thursday through Sunday round this weekend. And that's Ricky Fowler, Tommy Fleetwood, and Justin Rose all on the outside looking in. And when you look at these names, Ricky Fowler, uh, how far he has fallen in the past few years where he was a contender at majors, contender in these FedEx Cup playoffs, but not anymore. He needs to shoot low and play really good because he has 10 spots back. 
he needs to have a really good round to qualify for these playoffs. Tommy Fleetwood, the Englishman uh, as well, who also plays well, but I think with this kind of pandemic-stricken year and the traveling and the quarantine has taken a toll on Tommy, uh, which is why he hasn't played as good, but he still needs a low round. And Justin Rose won the FedEx Cup, you know, I think three years ago it was, even though Tiger Woods won the Tour Championship, the final event, because of the weird standings that they have in rules. Justin Rose still officially won the whole playoff thing, which was very frustrating and upsetting. But again, another player who always seems to be in contention for big events is that little prick that's right there waiting lurching in the dark in the shadows to pounce and win it this year has not been the case and he could be out after being a former champion so that's it folks again who would you want Luca or Trey Young and who do you think are going to have the best five offensives in football I'll talk to you guys soon bye everybody